Welcome to Altamar. We're going to navigate the high seas of global politics. My name is Peter Schechter, and with me is my co-host, Muni Jensen. We're going to captain this boat for the next half hour or so. In the last episode, we were talking about how to make a friend out of an enemy and about what the repercussions were of Trump's relationship with Russia. Today, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to talk about how to make an enemy out of a friend. And alienating Mexico has been one of the hallmarks of this new administration. It's a strange world, Peter, where Russia is our friend in the United States and Mexico is an enemy. It seems very ironic. And the strange thing is that Mexico and the United States seem to be on similar historical moments. They're both in no-win situations. Both countries are looking at big, big elections in 2018, hugely important ones. Mexico has a presidential election and the United States has a midterm election. Both countries are negotiating NAFTA and what that means for them. I think all the implications right now because of the election and the electoral calendar is every issue that is uh, considered international is going to be local, both on the Mexican side where Peña Nieto is struggling with dismal uh, popularity and with right now with uh, Donald Trump, who's basically fighting with his own party and trying to keep a hold on his base, which seems a little bit precarious right now. So all of the bilateral issues between Mexico and the U.S. are going to be inherently local. It's been decades and since we've had a southern border in the United States that we should worry about. And I, one of the great fears that I have is that that can now happen. We're going to be talking to somebody later on in this show that has a lot to say about that. Senator Gabriela Cuevas is a leading voice in the Mexican political arena. But most importantly, she's the chairwoman of the Mexican Senate's Committee on Foreign Relations. She obviously is a hugely important voice in how Mexico formulates its relationship with the United States. Looking forward to listen, listening to her, considering she's also part of the opposition to Enrique Peña Nieto, so it's a different, fresh voice on what is happening in Mexico. So, Muni, uh, I think last week or 10 days ago, Robert Lighthizer and the Mexican negotiator and the Canadian negotiator got together to start a new round of NAFTA negotiations. This round of NAFTA negotiations occurs in a vastly different climate than the one that we had before 20-some years ago when the negotiators of the three countries came together with a lot of support uh, a lot of political support from business, from the borders, from different areas. And the climate has totally changed. All you need to do is look around and see how, during the campaign, candidate Trump went after Mexico in such a huge fashion, and nobody spoke up. Nobody came to Mexico's defense. It was this huge silence. you know. And I think that there is this sense of nationalism gone rampant. There's been these racial racial epithets thrown at Mexico. I, I don't know how you see it, Mooney, but I really see a great difficulty in trying to get these negotiations done, particularly because they need to be done quickly, because the Mexicans are saying that there's no way they're going to negotiate with four or five months leading up to the elections. The thing now is compared to, I remember I was in college when NAFTA came about, um, is the tide has completely turned on trade. Right now, if, I remember the early 90s were a time of great integration. It was time of the EU. Everybody was very excited about trade, about the gains from trade, about uh, creating blocks of Mercosur and all the kinds of different uh, associations of countries for both political and trade reasons. And there was a kind of a new crop of leaders who were very much believers in opening markets. There was a success 
excess of Southeast Asia. So it was a very different climate right now. And probably based on the recession of 2008 and the fallout from that, there is no interest at all in global trade. And so any conversation that takes place between two countries on uh, trade issues is going to be a paranoid one with very scared stakeholders. And the stakeholders, Peter, we've been talking offline, have changed before. Uh, business was very trade friendly and unions were very protective of trade. Now it seems that a lot of even companies are ex are not excited about trade and are very concerned about the losses and the, uh, the dangers. So as they sit down the table, the Mexican government and the U.S. government, there really isn't a lot of... Uh, you know, a happy climate for these conversations, P protectionism, nationalism, basically. Right. Paranoia. And I don't want to be the one, you know, I'm the last one here to defend the Trump administration. But I think we should recognize that this is not a Trump administration issue only. This is certainly being espoused by important wings of the Democratic Party. Certainly Bernie Sanders campaigned on an anti-trade platform. And you look around the world and it's, it's everywhere. I mean, you see this anti-trade rhetoric seeping into the Brexit discussions about Britain leaving the EU. You see it seeping into elections in Holland and Belgium and Austria. Um, it was certainly part of the, the French elections just a few months ago. And it is now being part of the German elections. And so you see throughout the West this huge drip, drip, drip of this anti-trade rhetoric. And the question here is, Mooney, is trade really to blame for all of this? It's not. Trade is only the highway that's built between countries so that goods and services can go by. And I think that uh, it's very popular to be anti-trade because countries are suffering from immigration, they're suffering from job loss, they're suffering from manufacturing losses, and from basically the you know the, the technology that has come in to change and revolutionize industry. That's a hugely important point, Moody, because I think one of the things that the politicians have done is they've become they've converted trade into this talking point, because. But the fact is that trade and globalization are not the same thing. It's globalization, which is actually what is hurting uh, a lot of workers and which I'm afraid is going to continue to hurt because globalization is equal to the automation that is happening as countries improve their productivity and improve their capacity to manufacture and to create items with fewer and fewer workers and with more and more robotics. That's what I think is the dislocation that is creating such a political nightmare. It's not trade. But it's easier to blame trade. It's easier to blame trade than to blame a robot. So it's politically much more fruitful to, to find an enemy. But, but governments will eventually, and they will be led by those who are spearheading um, these efforts in trade adjustment. And they need, there, there needs to be some policies that accompany this um, you know, proliferation of trade agreements that help the workers, that help the consumers, that are um, you know, involving other things like training and technological uh, help for displaced workers and uh, creating the proper infrastructure for trade. So that's kind of a phase two of this current time, which is, it's hard to believe that it'll take place in a coherent way uh, because of the political climate. Look, I think that that's absolutely right. I think trade adjustment is what's necessary because if you just take a look, look, 40 years ago, about a quarter, 25% of every job in the United States was accounted by manufacturing. Today, it's less than one in 10 American jobs depend on manufacturing. But the reality is that we're producing 40% more manufacturing items. It's just that the items that we're producing are no longer shoes and textiles and cotton-related things, but we're 
producing things like electronics and aircrafts and automobiles that are much higher value, but I'm afraid that they also sort of depend a lot more on automation. And so I think that this, what you're talking about, the trade adjustment is so critical. Just one other thing that I think is really important about not confusing globalization and trade is to talk about the benefits that have arisen out of trade in general for everybody, for you, for me, for people of, of, uh, of uh, fewer means, which is the whole ability to consume and buy items at a much lower price. The, the Peterson Institute estimated that trade liberalization resulted in an increase of income of roughly $10,000 per household. This is an amazing ability of freeing up income because people have access to a whole lot of diverse products that they didn't have access to before and much better prices. So, Peter, we at Altamar are pro-trade. That's pretty clear. Um, and there, in the Mexico-U.S. relationship, there has been gains beyond just the, you know, crossing the border with goods and services. There's been some significant help with security, a lot of diplomatic ties that have been strengthened. There have been infrastructure conversations on both sides of the border to increase um, the efficiency of, of, of the transportation mechanisms. So there are a lot of uh, tourism without a doubt, has also flourished under the, under NAFTA. But let's talk about NAFTA a little bit. It was um, signed and sealed around roughly 25 years ago. It obviously needs to be updated to include automation, to include e-commerce, to include labor and the environment and all the, the issues that the uh, 2.0 trade agreements have. But also I think we should talk a little bit about what is, that, what is on the table between Mexico and the United States regarding NAFTA. Yeah, and I think that, look, look, I just think it's worth uh, here flying the NAFTA flag for a second. I mean, we're talking about 14 million jobs in the United States, in the United States depend on, on NAFTA. We're talking about a growth of 370% of North American trade since NAFTA was signed. We're talking about, and by the way, all of these jobs are not only in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. They're also in Indianapolis and Boise and uh, in Northern California. I mean, these are jobs that are spread out throughout the United States. And you know, our countries now together have become this production and consumption powerhouse, Canada, Mexico, and the United States, that produce huge capacities and are highly, highly competitive with many places in the rest of the world. All of that's going to be lost if we lose NAFTA. Mexico in particular has a lot at stake. 80% of its exports go to the United States and their uh, teams are taking these conversations very seriously. And honestly, they're, they're, they're doing a very good job with their tone. But let's listen to the three leaders and we can compare how Canada is also very productive and very positive about the negotiations, Mexico as well. But the U.S. Is, um, has a very different and belligerent tone. improving trade deals. NAFTA has been improved a dozen times over the past two decades and uh, we're looking forward to sitting down to talk about ways we can uh, enhance and strengthen both our trading relationship and uh, the outcomes for uh, workers and citizens on both sides of the border. There are areas of opportunity that weren't considered in an agreement signed over 20 years ago, sectors that were hardly discussed that were hardly dealt with, that were hardly agreed upon, or simply not agreed upon. 
and that today we can incorporate based on the modernization of our laws. I remain optimistic. I believe we're on the path to working in mutual respect, in a frank, open and sincere dialogue. We have begun formal renegotiation with Mexico and Canada on NAFTA. Personally, I don't think we can make a deal because we have been so badly taken advantage of. They have made such great deals, both of the countries, but in particular Mexico, that I don't think we can make a deal. So I think we'll end up probably terminating NAFTA at some point. Okay, probably. What a difference in tone between these three leaders. It's really incredible. And I, you know, I just, besides the fact that you are already predicting the failure of these negotiations, which I'm just worried is a lot about cutting off your nose to spite your face, because these production chains exist and depend on NAFTA and the ability that NAFTA has created to allow our production and manufacturing capacity to flourish. Do you think, though, because I believe that countries will trade, business will happen regardless. So um, I'm, I'm afraid that these conversations will halt the ease of trade between Mexico and the United States. But isn't there like a, a dynamic already, an inertia between companies that no president is going to be able to block? Uh, I, I'll give you the opposite example. Companies or countries can uh, sign trade agreements with each other. And if there's no companies willing to engage in trade, then they're just dead um, debt agreements. But when there is such a dynamic between the United States and Mexico, especially around the border border areas, uh, is that going to be enough to offset the trade unfriendliness of the United States? I think, Mooney, that there's a lot of newfound interest in supporting the NAFTA negotiations and in supporting NAFTA. As people have realized that the president is actually quite serious about canceling trade pacts, uh, there's a sort of growing panic throughout the United States that uh, we, the business in particular, has to do a lot more. You have business councils throughout the United States, and the last one that I recently read about was the Texas Business Council, which is really advocating in favor of NAFTA. I mean, the fact is that we have, it's not only about individual companies being able to ship stuff over the border. We've been integrating our economies between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. We have created a system in which manufacturing of high quality and high-end goods crosses the border multiple times. So, I mean, take a car door. So a car door is manufactured in the United States. It goes to Mexico where they actually put the lock on it. Then it goes back to the United States where they put the electronics into it that actually raise the windows and control the airbags. Then it goes back to Mexico where they put the, uh, the leather coverings on it and so on and so forth. And I think that you know this is an integrated system that, ha that is going to be a not only almost impossible to undo, but would be a huge economic and political mistake. I mean, talk about errors. We have created an integrated, an increasingly integrated economy between these three countries that is a powerhouse that competes with the rest of the world. Now we're going to do one more thing to allow 
China to, to get the better of us, which is to take down that integration, which makes us competitive. Basically, that's going to migrate into the electoral calendar in both countries. I, w- I was just going to say, I mean, it's not only the U.S. political calendar, it's the Mexican political calendar. Uh, the Mexicans want to finish this negotiation by December 2017 because they don't want this negotiation polluting their electoral process, which is basically going to be between January and May 2018. Uh, an electoral process which is going to be dominated by two fundamental things, which is the corruption and the how important corruption has become as a political issue in Mexico. And then Donald Trump, he's the other big election issue. We need to talk about that wall. It's, um, in my opinion, the wall is it's two sides of the same coin, NAFTA and the wall. They're both ways to use a populist tool to uh, gain the America first agenda uh, on the part of the United States. And Trump is raising the stakes of this wall conversation by threatening to shut the government down if the if Congress doesn't give him the funding for the wall. So uh, things are not looking good on the domestic side in the United States, and they're looking tricky for Mexico. So let's talk to an expert about this. We welcome to Altamar Senator Gabriela Cuevas Barron. She's a leading expert on international relations in Mexico. As I said before, she's the chairwoman of Mexico's Foreign Relations Committee and is a very influential member of the National Action Party. It's uh, interesting that she bookends this NAFTA discussion because she actually joined the politics and came into politics and joined the National Action Party in Mexico in 1994, which was the year that NAFTA was actually promulgated in all three countries. So she has seen throughout her political life the profound impact of NAFTA's uh, importance in Mexico. So she is a uh, passionate public speaker and a really, really intelligent woman. Senator Gabriela Cuevas, thank you so much for being on Altamar. Thank you. Thank you very much for this invitation. I'm really glad to be with you. Senator Cuevas talks about the border wall and this big xenophobic sentiment that's going on here in the U.S. obviously create a whole bunch of noise. And the first meetings of the negotiators seems to have been a rough one. So are you optimistic about what's going to happen? Do you think there's going to be a tough road ahead? And is Mexico going to reach a certain point in which it's going to simply say, we don't want this anymore? Uh, What uh, I believe, and I believe it's shared by a lot of persons, is that Trump is talking to his constituency. He's not talking for the negotiation. He's not talking for the reasonable people living in the U.S., we have seen these same statements during the last two years, and, and none of this can be true. At least uh, making Mexico to pay for that wall is absurd. It has no sense and no way to do that. And second about NAFTA, well, uh, our countries, both of them and the people, business persons, uh, industries, depends uh, to each other. It's not new. If we see the, the statistics or the numbers from Arizona, Texas, California, those economies and many other more depends a lot of, on what Mexico is buying from them. Uh, about 40% of total Arizona exports are going to Mexico. What we exchange uh, every year with California, it's bigger than all the, the things that we're exchanging with the European Union. Or even Texas. Texas is our largest uh, consumer, but also the largest uh, exporter of uh, products to Mexico. So it's a mutual dependency, and Trump is not understanding that. He might take a grand decision. He can. I don't know what the Congress is going to do about that. Let's hope that 
in some way. I don't know how. He can get some reason and start thinking with numbers and with the reality. Not only thinking that he's going to win a negotiation through Twitter. That's not going to happen, at least not with Mexico. Are you optimistic about the conversations beyond the rhetoric? I'm not sure because even if you have the best table and the best conversation and the best negotiation, well, if this uh, president uh, becomes upset during morning like he uses to do and he starts uh, tweeting or asking to go out of NAFTA, of course, that makes uh, a lot of uh, noise around the negotiation. Uh, if he wants to make a good strategy, the strategy for a negotiation should be under the same rules and the same uh, uh, table that you're negotiating. It should not be around the social media. There's no doubt. I believe that, uh, I believe that Mr. Trump is trying to push harder in order to obtain a, a better result. But the result depends on, on the numbers and uh, a trade balance that is working really well. He's obsessed against Mexico. I don't know what's happening with him. Because the, the the trade balance problems from U.S. Uh, are going from China, not from Mexico or Canada. Do you, obviously from the Mexico side, it's uh, clear that the Trump relationship has changed, the U.S.-Mexican relationship. Is Mexico now trying to pivot away from a large dependence on the United States and try to Uh, strengthen relations with other countries in the world to, and diversify its trading partners even more? Yes, it's not new for Mexico. In Mexico, we are the second country in the world with the, the highest number of foreign uh, uh, treaties. We have a lot of free trade agreements with many countries in the different continents, so it's not new. What should be improved is the presence of the business persons from Mexico around the world. But we have all the, the legal instruments already done, and we are also negotiating a lot of uh, upgrades in our free trade agreement. So we're doing well in that sense. I believe that the great danger is coming that if we get rid of NAFTA, uh, it's kind of sure that the dollar is going to be more expensive for, for Mexicans, and it's going to be impossible to buy some things with goods or services we are buying from the U.S. At the end, the big problem is going to be for those American uh, industries that are selling from Mexico, uh, selling to Mexico, because otherwise Mexican products are going to be more competitive because they're going to be cheaper for, for U.S. markets. So it's a very bad decision for, for Mr. Trump if he wants to get rid of NAFTA, but apparently he's capable of taking whatever ground decisions that he can find. We just saw him with his support to Ku plan. So we can expect a lot of different results. We all know that Trump has been very clear about what his main goal for NAFTA is, which is to reduce the U.S. trade deficit. We may disagree on whether that's a good idea or a bad idea or a good goal or a bad goal. But I wanted to ask you, What specifically does Mexico want from these negotiations? What are Mexico's demands? I think this negotiation should be relatively easy because we already know each other from 23 years ago with this, uh, the free trade agreement. NAFTA has been there 23 years. That's a lot. And we also share the table for DPP. DPP, the, the agenda was really big. There, were, there, there was a lot of uh, new issues to be addressed, like uh, electronic commerce, 
energy, telecom. There was a lot of issues that uh, should be uh, addressed and included between our countries. So the positions are relatively clear. Uh, I believe that the negotiation should be easy, and that's what Mexico expects. We we want to build a stronger North America, to have a better integration in order to have better goods and services for uh, the citizens. But that result depends on the the... The, the, the ideas that three countries have. And in the case of U.S., it's not clear the idea that they are having because they presented one document to the U.S. Congress, but in the other side, the American president is treating like every day against the, the agreement. So which one we should believe, the negotiators or the president? As you said in the beginning, all politics is local and it seems like there's a domestic audience to some of the rhetoric. But Mexico is also holding elections next year. And once again, it looks like uh, part of the election conversation will be dominated by the United States, by the relationship with Donald Trump, as well as some domestic issues like corruption. What is the role of the U.S. in the upcoming presidential elections? Well, of course... As Mexico was a part of all the U.S. debates, I'm sure that's going to happen also with the U.S. U.S. is going to be an issue where all the different candidates should take a position. And it should not be an easy one because people in Mexico are upset. It's not easy to hear the American president speaking against Mexicans and saying that we all are racist or criminals. And it's not easy also to see the American president saying that Mexico is the most dangerous country in the world. So these are very strong statements. Of, and of course, that is something that goes directly to Mexican hearts. So I believe it's not going to be easy. It can be even tense. It's, it's not going to be easy to defend. Uh, not great as NAFTA with with U.S. With Canada, we have a very good relation. But now... Seeing and hearing the statement that Mr. Trump is doing about the world, for example, that can make a lot of noise around the, the approval in the Senate, because a lot of people are going to be suspicious if we are going to pay something through a dark negotiation or something. I'm sure the Mexican government is not going to, to do that. But during an election year, of course, there, there's a lot of suspicion and, and a lot of uh, criticism about this kind of vote. So it might be difficult and it can get even more if Donald Trump continues speaking like that against Mexico. Senator, one last question, which is, you know, a lot of people are saying that 2018 is going to be the year for AMLO. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are going his way in terms of what the general sense of the debate is in Mexico. And corruption and Trump are both great issues for AMLO. Do you think he's going to win? I don't think so, because even López Obrador, he doesn't speak anything about U.S. or Donald Trump. I don't know if he's afraid of something. I have no idea. But he has been really conservative about his position to U.S. I, I am really surprised about that. But he's not acting like a leftist candidate. He's like trying only to preserve what he already has, and I am not sure that that's enough to win the election next year. Uh, every six years, the scenario is uh, very similar than the one we are living now, but uh, I don't think so. What I can see is that the uh, U.S. is going to be clearly an issue. 
and also corruption, a lot of, of different issues. But U.S., I believe it's going to be the first time where it becomes uh, an issue for campaigning. Senator Cuevas, thank you so much for being on Altamar. Thank you. Thank you very much for this invitation to Altamar. So, Peter, from listening to Senator Cuevas, it's uh, quite clear that the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico goes beyond the angry Twitters of Donald Trump. It's a dynamic relationship. It's longstanding, and it will obviously continue both on the private sector and the government side. And Mexico in the past 25 years has uh, transformed into a dynamic and thriving market with much more emphasis in manufactured goods. It's modernized, thanks in part to NAFTA. And also beyond NAFTA, the relationship with the U.S. exists on many levels in drug interdiction and security, and, in, and they're both international players in kind of the global stage and are definitely crucial allies and have strong di diplomatic ties. But uh, the story gets a little complicated with the tension happening now in the middle of an electoral calendar, as we've discussed for the U.S., but also, also with the upcoming elections in Mexico. So let's play a little bit, a little bit of forecasting. What's going to happen with NAFTA, with the wall? And with the elections. Well, let me take the elections first. I, I unfortunately am a bit of a pessimist. I do think that uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO as they call him in Mexico, uh, is uh, pretty unstoppable in 2018. I'm afraid that the uh, PRI has become the, the party of the establishment and the party of corruption. And I just see it being very difficult, notwithstanding the enormous party machinery that they have uh, for them to win. They're just the, the party of the status quo, and Mexicans are not happy right now with the status quo. And the uh, PAN, which has been a party which uh, really has been able to uh, be the, the the leading opposition party, is uh, just in a state of really utter disrepair. And so I, I think that notwithstanding the fact that the PAN has a uh, interesting and exciting candidate with Margarita Zavala, I don't know that the PAN is actually going to give her the candidacy. And so... Um, much like we did with Donald Trump, everybody is dismissing and poo-pooing the fact that AMLO can't win, but I think that he will win the presidency in 2018 in Mexico, and that will usher in a new, completely new moment, because this will be the moment in which the borders of the United States and Mexico will once again become tension-filled. I'm not so sure that this is AMLO's year. I think he's uh, past his prime, and I believe that the fund has a little bit of time to get its act together and that uh, there will be much more of a need for renewal, even generationally, than, um, than you're forecasting. But let's think about the wall. Do you think that there is going to be a government shutdown because there's no wall funding on the, on the, on the part of the U.S. Congress? Okay, well, here I'm put it, putting my heart before my head, and I'm certainly hoping that there won't be, and that Congress will be sufficiently either divided or rational, Um, or some of the people in Congress rational and some of the people in Congress divided, uh, enough to um, uh, not provide an appropriate monies for the wall to Mr. Trump because I just think that that will be, um, that is the key to AMLO's election. We start building a wall and AMLO, uh, there's just, you, even you will agree with me that AMLO will get elected. I do, but I don't agree with the reasons. I don't think the members of Congress care about Mexico. They care about their own districts and their own reelection. And I truly believe that they will stand up to Trump because they have called Trump, Trump's bluff before and succeeded. Oh, I agree with you. I don't think that, Mex that the Congress will... Uh, 
uh, not provide monies for the wall because of Mexico. I think Congress will not provide monies for the wall because only 30 to 35% of Americans support it, which means that seven out of 10 Americans oppose it. Now, you ask for predictions, what is gonna happen to NAFTA? I think NAFTA is going to drag on and there's going to be a lot of rhetoric on the part of Trump and the serious people will sit at the table. Hopefully there'll be serious people on the U.S. side too and crank out the changes that need to be changed um, on labor and environment and e-commerce and then it'll take a very, very long time. There you have Mooney's prediction. No new NAFTA before the Mexican elections. That's it for Altamar this time. See you next time. We look forward to it.